0: plushcare.com weight loss
1: Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles the podcast that pits two movies with something in common in a fight to the death to see which one comes out victorious on Monday's episode 2019 never looked so cyberpunk in Blade Runner but what a difference 30 years makes as we head back to Los Angeles to once again go a replicant hunting in the sequel to that seminal sci-fi Blade Runner 2049 every civilization was built off the back of
2: a
0: disposable workforce but i can only make so many happy birthday
1: so which film will have an open-ended lifespan and which will be retired will have a winner at the end of the show so let's find out it's clash of the titles The Kraken. Hello, Clash Budders.
3: I'm Vicky Crompton.
1: I'm Chris <laughs> and I'm Alex. You don't know what pain is yet. You will. (laughs) Zane. Right, Chris's choices this week. Blade Runner on Monday, big episode, an hour and a half. Can we do less on Blade Runner 2049? Please, because I'm sweating balls here. (laughs) It's a very hot studio today. So why did you pick them, Chris? Quickly, happy 40th birthday, Blade Runner. Mm, Happy birthday, everyone involved in Blade Runner. (laughs) And indeed Blade Runner. No, no, it's just Blade Runner. Just Blade Runner. Right then, shall I crack on? Oh, yeah. Okay, on Monday, Victoria took us back to 2019 in Blade Runner, which means today it's time to head to 2049. Let me take you on a journey. Oh, no, do you want to do a review, Chris? I've got one. Yeah, all right. Um,
4: all right, this is from uh, G Rod 83, which makes me wonder if it's Gene Roddenberry. Um, G Rod says, um, Doing my job and driving around uh, can be lonely. You chaps and lady keep me entertained. Look forward to every episode, and the clues are too clever for me to figure out. Five stars, hashtag keep the quiz. Oh, oh no. Lovely. <laughs>
1: lovely. Top shelf review. That, <laughs> top shelfed it, didn't he? G Rod, well done. Top shelfed it, keeping the. Let me take you on a journey. The you like sci-fi, with an added side of overt biblical references and muddled metaphors? Well, you've come to the right place. We've got Officer K. Does he have a soul? He certainly thinks he might after he wrongly assumes he's a replicant Jesus, and that Deckard, who favours unnecessary Treasure Island references over biblical ones, might be his dad. But is Daddy a replicant or not? We still don't know. Even though Jared Leto, playing Jared Leto, playing God, alludes to the fact that he is, while showing him his dead lover's skull in an attempt to get him on side. Without Deckard's help, God Jared Leto can't build any more angels and won't be able to storm Eden. Anyway, Jared buggers off to appear in the sequel we'll never see and Sulky K, who's found out he's not Replicant Jesus, helps Deckard escape and kills a bad Replicant by drowning her. That's a design flaw. Replicants can drown. Finally, he introduces Deckard to his daughter while trying not to look massively pissed off about the whole thing. <laughs> then dies the end. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, Blade Runner 2049... Does he die? <laughs> Great question. Uh, screenwriter Michael Green says, "How can people not know he dies?" So I'm Michael Green in this role play. Yeah,
3: you're an idiot. He look, just looks like he's having a rest. You're
1: an idiot because his argument is they play a version of hmm. the Tears in the Rain music from oh. Blade Runner in okay. the background, so it's basically going. He's fucking dead mate.
4: To
3: me he's I mean that's that's irritating. We have
1: jumped ahead to the end I would say.
4: <laughs> uh, we <we've> broken <laughs> we we've, we've literally broken a record <laughs> for the first sentence being the last shot of the film. <laughs> um,
2: <sighs>
1: but yeah so I'll, ta- I'll I'll express my opinion when we get there.
3: All right. Sure. I'll
4: shut up.
1: All right. But according to screenwriter Michael Green, he definitely, definitely dies at the end. And it works with the theme because he sacrificed himself Mm -hmm. for the cause uh, that he sort of found out about 20 minutes earlier about. (laughs) It's Uh, a a cause everyone has to die. Really? (laughs) And I'm I'm not Replicant Jesus. This is a bad day. (laughs) I just watched Joy die for this mission because I was Replicant Jesus and now I'm not. Fuck you, Saul. And we're done.
3: <laughs>
0: Brilliant.
1: So, the time for the verdict. <laughs> right then. Uh, histories uh, with this movie. I'll start. I watched it at the IMAX in Leicester Square, a preview screening at the IMAX, the massive screen there, and it was incredible. It was amazing. Really immersive experience, really overpowering, Like, felt that you were transported to this vision of L.A. And then, a lot like what happened with Avatar, I watched it on my TV screen at home and was like, Uh, it's not as good. It's really, really not as good at all when not watched on the biggest screen possible. Third time watching it. Well, we'll talk about that now. Chris? Um, Exactly the same as you, actually, in
4: terms of watching it. Uh, I did go to the press screening. I went and bought a ticket to that same cinema. I Mm. sat in the front row of the balcony, Mm. which gave me horrible vertigo. I'll never sit in that seat again. And it was one of the most visually incredible Screenings I've ever been to. I just it blew my mind, and I really enjoyed the film. Um, but rewind a little bit, and this film is what's given me my greatest ever exclusive. So I went to interview Harrison Ford for the movie Ender's Game, and he was in London shooting Force Awakens at the time. So we're all in a room waiting to go in one by one by one, interviewing him, and everyone is been sent there to ask him about Force Awakens. And as I said on Monday, with one friend of mine, he pretended to fall asleep. He just would not answer questions. But the job was come back with a quote from him. And I was really freaking out. And I just thought, I'm going to try something. So I went in there and rather than ask about Force Awakens, I said to him, it's pretty um, famous that you're not a fan of Blade Runner. you didn't have a good experience on it. But Ridley Scott is talking about doing a new version. Would you ever in any world consider doing, becoming involved in some way, shape or form? And he sort of smiled at me and said, it's funny you should ask that. I met with him yesterday And I think I might do it. And I, I, I literally, I watched the video, but I literally do a double take because I'm expecting him to, to bat it away. <laughs> and it's what?
1: the... What?
4: <laughs> he literally said the opposite of what I was expecting. <laughs> oh, That's amazing. And so... um, I just... Don't tell anyone else that today, Harrison. Bye-bye, thank you. <laughs>
3: Did you have to play it cool? Like, you didn't want to go, OK, bye, and
4: then um, <laughs> and run off. No, I thought on my feet and I said, how about voiceover this time around? And that was when he laughed. You're right. That's when I got my laugh. OK. Uh, but, um, yeah, and that went, you know, that went all around the world, that story
1: because that was the first time he'd said that he was going to be involved uh, with Blade Runner. Mm. And also, just as a sidebar, Ender's Game is a very good film that was massively underappreciated, I think. Do you want to do it in the podcast? Because I know what I want to pair it with. Do you? Yeah. I think I know what you want to yeah, pair it with. Okay. Yes, let's do that. All right.
3: Vicky. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? What? Ender's Game. Yeah, sure. So um, I watched this film on the television and I remember it very well because I was hungover out of my goddamn skull. And so when me and Mark are in a really bad way, it's quite gross, but we've got a sofa bed in the front room near the telly. And so if we really are really, really struggling, kids to bed get that sofa bed out because we can't. We just got up mum <laughs> <laughs> like, we can't be we've got two do you know what this is a whole thing but both our sofas are very uncomfortable because Mark won't let me be comfy in my own house and so they're desac- Quomos, antiques of the future but they're really uncomfortable apart from when you make one of them a bed basically right. so I remember insisting that we put the sofa bed out and I was like I want to watch 2049 now because I need something that I can just switch off as in just be treated to a visually lush whatever mm. and there's stuff for me to get you know to get my head around but I'm not going to be made to feel sad or scared I'm just going to have an experience for three hours because I can't concentrate on anything I'm dying and how was that experience great Mark fell asleep Right. Um. I, I had a
1: good time well, that's what happens if you pull out a sofa bed Yeah. weird though Nettie really hates the sofa that I bought for the flat she says mm-hmm. it's unsittable on she yep. says it's all metal bars and everything <laughs> Like, which is true so she's now she's now put the dogs' beds, like uh, two layers of dog's beds on the sofa for us to sit on and be comfy, yeah. which is fine, except that the dog now goes, Well, that's my bed, so I'm gonna sit on the sofa. Yeah. So it's a, it's a it's an arse battle, uh really. <laughs> Who gets the most space on the sofa?
3: Oh, is this your family sofa? Mm. That's nice.
1: It is, it is actually a sofa bed. I'm gonna I'm gonna trial that. Yeah. It's a sofa uncomfortable. Well, <laughs> dunk, 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 dunk. how about that shit? That's right. All right, let me tell you a bit about this movie. Uh so There'd been some issues with the rights uh, since Blade Runner came out in terms of trying to get a sequel off the ground, which means that a couple of ideas Blade Runner related didn't happen. The short answer about this rights issue is Bud Yorkin uh, divorced his first wife and she took 50% of the Blade Runner copyright with her. Wow. Wow. Oh, I so didn't know that. that's amazing. it was. Uh, I, I'm joining draw, the dots. Although I don't think anyone said it. I don't think he wanted to make a sequel to give his ex-wife a lot Load of money. A Lot of money, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so that's why it was hard to do. Um, which means we never got uh, Scott's first sequel idea in the 2000s. He had an idea, Blade Runner sequel called Metropolis. That's all that was ever revealed about that. But it's quite interesting because I think Blade Runner, you can draw a through line between that and Fritz Lang's Metropolis, Mm -hmm. so interesting. And then later on, 2009, Scott and uh, the late Tony Scott were trying to get a web series called Pure Fold off the ground fucking web series <laughs> well,
3: when i was weird. an agent it was just the bane of my fucking life can you get us a web series can you because oh, it's easy is it because it's on the web no i can't get you a web series i don't
1: think ridley's got ever too happy with the idea of a web series because in every interview you guys it would have played on tv as yeah, well exactly it That's it. It. It like, like, why been on do you TV? want a web
3: series no one's gonna watch it
1: <laughs> uh, so that didn't happen uh, we mentioned on monday or at least i did the one that did happen was soldier in 1998, Paul W.S. Anderson, uh, which David Peoples, the Blade Runner scribe, actually wrote. Uh, he calls it a sidequel, and it contains a few references to Blade Runner, but it is not in any way Blade Runner <laughs> canon. But,
4: but isn't it, fa- I mean, I need to read this, actually. It's famously a very good script that was turned into a very bad film. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is. It's. It, I mean, it, it's a really interesting idea. And the when you watch it going, I'm imagining it in the Blade Runner universe, it is a better film but it's still not very good, yeah. Right. Uh, finally, step forward Alcon Entertainment, who get the rights to Blade Runner from Bud Yorkin for eleven million dollars, uh, five and the- a half.
3: Because <laughs> the other half <laughs> went yeah, to his wife. Of course,
1: of course uh, with the proviso that uh, him and his new wife Cynthia are producers on the movie. I I, I mentioned that because Cynthia keeps a diary. Uh, uh, throughout the making of Blade Runner in 2049, which I'll be referring to. Uh, Cynthia, I don't think, had produced a movie at that point, which is why Bud's ex-wife successfully sued for $300,000, claiming she's not a real producer. <laughs> and she got them. She got that money. So I mentioned Alcon and Tim as well. So I went to Hungary to cover this movie, uh, to Corda Studios just outside Budapest. Uh, it was very cool. I got to interview Ryan Gosling uh, there, who told me, absolutely fuck all about the film (laughs) it was the antithesis of Chris's Harrison Ford interview and I was like and I do this all the time just let me rant for one second Basically, you say to someone, "You go. This will not come out. What you are filming mm. now will not come out until the film is released in cinemas." That's how we do our specials. But also, guys. you literally
4: sign a document saying <laughs> you won't release any <laughs> of this information before the film comes out. Okay. So, well, you'll you'll go to jail. Mm, yeah, you'll be fined a lot of money. But you and think and you're
3: giving it all that in the pub, though? That's the trouble. He's like, you can't trust Blabbermouth <laughs> over there. But it's it happens on everything,
1: and you just like, and so then you sort of like, I've flown to Budapest to have you give me the. same answers like that I would have got you know a week before the like it's just sort of like oh I really can't tell you about that
3: that. are you saying 75% of your work is useless now you've put it like that no (laughs) no, on (laughs) on film
4: sets it can be very frustrating
1: right because it doesn't feel like everyone's on the same team (laughs) Yeah, it really does. Anyway, uh, I did get to see them shooting uh, the sequence against the sea wall where he fights.
3: Oh, uh, that's really. That's almost the best bit.
1: At the end, yeah. Uh, I watched him shooting that in getting soaked by wave after wave after wave all through the night, freezing cold. And it was one of the few times I hadn't wanted to be Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Because <laughs> he was fucking freezing. You could yeah. see him. Still beautiful. Well, we can talk about whether he was right for this movie or not as we go through it. I like that
3: you were considered. <laughs> I mean... (laughs) I didn't make it sound like
1: that. Final two. Final two. That's all I'm saying. You know, I had a bad day. Come on. Everything before that knocked him out of the water. So uh, Alcon are an independent film company who've had some big hits over the years. Insomnia, uh, The Book of Eli, The Blind Side and Prisoners. So I met the CEO of Alcon, Andrew Kosov, um, and he says the... He wasn't happy with the profits they were making on smaller films, and that's why he wanted the rights to Blade Runner. His quote is, ''If you don't have repetitive cash flow'' Exciting creativity. (laughs) ''If you don't have repetitive cash flow'' which is a fancy way of saying being in the sequel business, ''you're going to be in trouble eventually.'' So he bought these rights with the intention of making a whole franchise of Blade Runner movies. And I think one of the problems I have with this movie when you're watching it is there are moments in this which lean into a sequel that never happened. Whereas you watch Blade Runner, the original, and you know there's nothing in that that you go, oh, I want a sequel. I want well, to know what happens next. Like what? Moments like when the uh, rebel replicants capture Kay and go, there's a war coming, ah, yes. a revolution. Yeah. The fact that Jared Leto uh, Leto pisses off mm-hmm. like, to appear in the sequel and it's like, he's gone off world. It's like, oh, we're going to get a sequel off world. Yeah. Obviously, it didn't do the money in the end, which is why we never got the sequel. So, Directors. Uh, Alcon had worked with Christopher Nolan on Insomnia, so they start going, well, well, our ideal director is Christopher Nolan. Uh, Christopher Nolan went, fuck that. Uh, he didn't want to do it. A huge Blade Runner fan had the poster on his wall growing up and, and he said he could never even consider remaking it. There are a lot of movies that are on such a pedestal that to try and either remake them or follow them up would be too tricky mm-hmm. for him. Uh, but he does like this version. Uh, he says he, Dennis Villeneuve, uh, Denis Villeneuve bravely took on A suicide mission Mm. (laughs) following such a huge film that I was a fan of. But I thought he did a great job. So no Nolan. Step forward. Ridley fucking Scott here. (laughs) Uh, So he works with Hampton Fancher, brings Hampton Fancher back. And they come up with a treatment which they then give to Logan, screenwriter, Michael Green. Logan came out the same year. And um, he works it up into a script that everyone bloody loves. Everyone loves this script. Yeah, Ridley's got no credit on this, but you speak to people
4: involved with the film and they say he wrote this film. If you speak yeah. to Ridley Scott, he says, I wrote that film. <laughs> uh, Denis Villeneuve says that as well, though. Yeah. says it's written by and for Ridley Scott.
1: Mm. But Ridley Scott is not shy about basically saying which bits it is as well. Right. Um, we'll get on to some of Ridley's uh, choice quotes about this movie. So Scott, though, uh, he decides he can't do it because he's got uh, another thing that he needs to work on. So he leaves uh, Blade Runner to go and ruin the Alien (laughs) franchise a little bit more by (laughs) making Alien Covenant, uh, that abomination of a film, rather than letting Neil Blomkamp make his Alien sequel, which would have been way better. So Ridley's out, uh, although he stays on as exec producer. Uh, So Alcon then approached Denis Villeneuve, who they worked on, with Prisoners. And he says they, they wouldn't basically, uh, they wouldn't just send him the script. They had to meet in what their words was a secret location. Cool. Because this script, Hampton Fancher called the script. Uh, Queensbury. No, the one I've got is that he called it bloody hell acid, acid zoo, uh, based on a story Fancher likes to tell about the time he took LSD instead stared at gorillas at a zoo. <laughs> well,
4: I had Denis Villeneuve doing an interview with Ryan Johnson. They mm. were talking, and, and he said that he went to New Mexico to this secret yep. location, met with, I think he said Ridley Scott, but I couldn't quite hear. Maybe it was an, someone else from Alcon. Mm. And he said, they gave me a script called Queensbury, but they told me there was no Queensbury. <laughs> <Jesus Christ. laughs> Just this envelope. And he said, I did not know what they were talking about. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he, he said, uh, Andrew Kosov put the screenplay in front of me. I was really moved as it was a testament to how much trust they have in me. Sure. I mean, you're Denis Villeneuve. You're not going to go, cool, and I can just take this <laughs> away. So... Uh, he he likes it, but he says, no, too much of a thing. It's a super bad idea for him. And mm. then they come back with a better offer. Yeah, he said he didn't sleep for
4: two months when he was talking to Ryan after he got this script because he did love the script. But then, you know, you might put yourself in movie jail forever. And it's funny that he's telling this to Ryan Johnson because they're both going through quite a similar thing with, mm. with Star Wars and Blade Runner. And, he's, and then he just said he had to... Obviously, I guess they paid him a lot of money. Yeah. But he said it's also making peace with the fact that I might be damned forever by fans of this franchise, of which there are a lot.
3: Yeah, but the money makes that just go down a little yeah, bit.
4: Yeah, but, he, you know, he could do what he wants.
1: I mean, I kind of get what, where he's coming from. The final statement I had from him on it was uh, I said to myself, if there's a moment where I'm going to do a movie of this scale, it needs to be something that matters to me. So it's this or June.
2: Yeah, (laughs) I do both.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I can't get June off the ground at the moment. So, yeah, sure. How much?
4: Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Which is ironic because obviously Ridley Scott left June when his brother passed Mm. away. And then part of the reason he started to Blade Runner was because of his brother passing away. So it's funny
1: how it's all quite circular.
3: Or there. is it a small talent pool? Mm. Discuss. Well, Tony
1: Scott uh, pays homage to Blade Runner in Domino, doesn't he? Because she has uh, tears in the rain Oh, does she? tattooed on her neck.
3: Does it make her cool? Uh,
1: it, it makes a, a bad movie worse. <laughs> 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 uh, um, so uh, Scott was asked uh, about what... Uh, Uh, what it felt like um, uh, whether he was happy and comfortable handing Villeneuve the keys to his beloved Blade Runner and Scott says I wasn't I wasn't happy about it at all (laughs) but waiting for me to direct it would have I'd have only gotten in the way and Denis was our best option so far (laughs) wait for it it takes one to see one. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> <laughs> everything is about me <laughs> love him
1: love him uh, but you
3: do, he just has that effect you take that as a, if you were to you'd be like that is the fucking biggest compliment I've ever had mm. but he's basically saying I'm awesome by the way <laughs> don't fuck it up but because you have this whole persona where you cannot wring a compliment out of the man you'd be like well that is that's huge for me yeah 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 uh,
1: Gosling casting wise, everyone basically wanted Gosling. Hampton Fancher wanted Gosling. Ridley Scott wanted Gosling. Harrison Ford claims that he claimed he'd said, "I'll pick Gosling," and they were like, "We're already
4: ahead of you, Harrison." It does make sense, doesn't it? You, you might, when we get onto the film, you can criticize it, but it makes sense if you want someone who's similarly sort of monosyllabic as Deckard is. That is literally what Ryan Gosling was doing at that time, and he was the hottest property in Hollywood. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and you could believe him as 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 Harrison Ford's son if you needed to.
1: I guess so. Yeah, it's a weird one. The role itself is such a strange role. I'm not sure what Kay is meant to be a lot of the time in this movie. And so I guess his blank face works for that. I just, I don't think either Blade Runner in either of these movies was cast as well as it could have been, to be perfectly honest. But
4: I think if they'd cast the first movie better, if, if someone other than Harrison Ford had played Deckard, I think you would see a different person here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Ryan Gosling himself uh, said it was uh, the opportunity to work with Villeneuve and Roger Deakins, uh, paired with his faith in the script, convinced him to take his first leading role in a blockbuster production. I did not realise that this was What had he done
3: before this then?
1: Well, they'd done a lot of movies that went on to be quite big. Drive. Drive was covered. Drive and stuff, but they were all quite small budgeted movies that just found an audience
3: yes yeah. i feel like i feel like i've seen everything he's done because the, the, fit, brilliant, but... the
4: brilliant one where he played the teacher who was addicted oh, to Half drugs Nelson. yeah yes mm. blue valentine blue i mean they're valentine, just all good yeah. aren't they Yeah.
1: yeah oh he picked some great movies and and this <laughs> that's not fair i don't mean that uh, so harrison ford uh being harrison ford uh he was asked uh by this gq interview i referenced on monday uh Uh, why he was uh, doing the sequel. He was like, I saw no downsides at all. When he was asked what the upsides were, he said, I got paid. Always happy to be paid.
3: Because morons pay to get Get in. in.
1: Morons pay to get in. (laughs)
3: Come again, Harrison? (laughs) Well, I guess...
1: Those who know,
4: (laughs) know. I guess clever people don't pay to get in.
3: Oh. clever people yeah, but if you're
4: smart you're not going to pay to get in yeah. somewhere but if you're a moron you'll pay to get in somewhere
3: and that sure. I means you're more honest because he's saying it's a compliment yeah because he's been
1: called a moron by
3: Ridley yeah. Scott
1: and then he's like yeah but morons pay to get in because we're
3: good people I don't know
1: let's move on yeah <laughs> uh, so uh, the name uh, producer Cynthia Yorkin came up with a title that she loved uh, she says in her production diary Blade Runner time to live <laughs> leave Cynthia
4: alone
3: oh that is lovely no that's I just I don't know how old she is but just the idea of like dear diary I mean, would think it's brilliant if you had never done it before you'd blow blow your mind she's
4: 68 now yeah she's a very experienced actress yep she was TV movies Um, I didn't realise Bud Yorkin died yes before
1: this was made so she was flying solo oh shit Okay. okay yeah they could have quite easily like gone, okay, Bud's not here, can you you don't have to come anymore? But she she was there every day, writing her diary. She says of Time to Live. Um, it's a play on words that is a callback to Roy Batty's line, Time Ooh. to Die from the original film. Yeah, ah, I all I right. Would you like certainly. a callback? Time to live foreshadows what our film is about. Uh, the replicants in the first film were never given the chance to live. It's an homage with many layers. And it's poetic. <laughs> 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 she likes that name. Uh, Sony didn't. They uh, went. We played under Twenty Forty Nine. And finally, um, film did not did not make the money that it was uh, meant to. It was, you know, like I said at the start, Andrew Kosov, Alcon. They thought this was their way into sequels, so they spent. It's their highest budgeted movie, one hundred eighty five million is the top estimate. Only made two hundred sixty million. Obviously, got Oscars. Roger Deakins got his first ever Oscar after 14 times of trying for this movie Um, but to put it in perspective as far as Alcon are concerned as a company who bought the rights to Blade Runner uh, they made almost 60 million dollars more profit on the Hilary Swank Gerard Butler rom-com PS I Love You Wow Mm.
3: it is good though it's great So, to be fair... You'll put
1: Gerald Butler in a rom-com. Ka-ching.
3: ching yeah, It makes no sense. The Bounty yet. Hunter. The
1: Bounty Hunter with Jennifer Aniston. Brilliant. <laughs> the Ugly Truth of Catherine Heigl. Brilliant. Do you know what the, the defining factor is? Gerald fucking Butler, mate. Get him in your rom-com. They're currently
4: making... The only film they've got on the go at the moment is a Garfield movie. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. But, uh, you know, there's always a Dolphin Tail 3. Uh, fingers crossed. Uh, so, uh, the final thing to talk about is Did you watch the three shorts? No. Okay. Um, I'll mention the first one uh, now. Uh, which is the final short chronologically, but fits nicely into starting to talk about this film. It's from 2048, Nowhere to Run. So it's set in the year 2048, and it gives a bit of backstory to Sapper Morton and how Kay has found him at the start of this movie. Basically, he saves a mother and child from being sexually assaulted by a gang of thugs while he's walking around the city. But as he saves them, they're horrified by the violence he uses. And then a spectator finds his ID papers that he's dropped in the fight. And that's how we start the movie, with Kay on his way to see Sapper Morton. And if it's not in the film, it doesn't count. I know we did this a lot on the Blair Witch Project (laughs) episode, which obviously you weren't here for, V, but its I know exactly what you mean. But as I said on that episode, this movie... Is much better when you (laughs) absorb all the media around it because it fills in things like the blackout. It's like, oh, the blackout. It's like, sorry, the what? Now this tells a story. One of these short films is all about how the replicants basically blew up the servers at Tyrell to destroy the replicant registry that humans were using to track down and murder replicants on Earth. Mm -hmm. If it's not on the film, it doesn't count. Right, let's go through the (laughs) film then and see what does count. Scott uh, had the vision of this opening for his original and they decided, why not? Do it here. So, instead of Deckard, it is K. He is hunting down our new Nexus 8 models. Now, sorry, Nexus 9 models. These are Nexus 9 models. Are they? Is it 8 or 9? They're Nexus 8. 8, sorry. Nexus
4: so, in 8. this scene, he's hunting down a Nexus 6, isn't
1: he? An earlier model, anyway. He can't be hunting down a Nexus 6, can he? Because... Sapper Morton has been around for 20 years so he must be a nexus 8 because he's got an open-ended lifespan cuz he okay, yeah. performs yeah, the yeah, Caesarian yeah, yeah. on mm-hmm. Rachel yeah, so yeah. he's been around 20 years so he's right. got an open-ended lifespan Can I just ask the question why have we got why have they given them open-ended lifespans other than it works for this movie
3: Yeah exactly there's so much stuff about it's not just in this one and it's there's stuff in the book as well and in the first Blade Runner, what you know, and you did explain to me why have they got blood and bones and can drown or whatever? If they're if they're made of organic stuff, that's fine. Why mm-hmm. would
4: you not want a product to have an
1: open-ended lifespan?
3: <clears throat> because they dictate. you don't buy a
1: toaster that's gonna. But they say break. in the first movie, ad verbatim. They have to have a four-year lifespan because at four years they develop human emotions and become dangerous. So that's sure. why they've got this four-year kill switch. And now, they... yeah, but this is a different model. So
4: this is this is this model that uh... is loyal. That he's um, Neander Wallace has finished out, figured out how to make them completely loyal. And of course, subservient. So he, he can't be a Nexus
1: Eight then because I know that's what I'm saying. But also, it doesn't definitely say he's been alive for twenty years. So he's a Nexus Seven. All right, fine. It's fine. It's not one of the new models though, <laughs> and he's not one of the old. models. <laughs> it's in so the middle. What comes between six and eight? I think what we've done here is prove why they didn't bother explaining what modeling is in the it's film. <laughs> okay, good. So, Sapper Morton is a Nexus 7 uh, <laughs> <laughs> replicant. And there's some nice stuff here about him fighting off world in the Battle of Calantha. This is another planet that uh, this team of replicants who came to Earth that. Kay is hunting. We're all part of this military unit. And they all looked after Rachel and Deckard as some kind of weird replicant commune. So Kay says newer models uh, don't run. Older models do. Yeah. K is a Nexus 9. Right. Sapper's a Nexus 8. Okay. Yeah. Great. So Sapper is a Nexus 8. Good. So he has an open-ended lifespan, but he's still an older model. So it's a Nexus 9s. That good old Neander Wallace has built, Mm -hmm. that he has controlled Mm -hmm. and made sure they obey and they can never kill a human, apart from the one that kills a lot of humans in this movie. Yes. Love. Yes. A Nexus 9.
3: She does no problem with it.
1: <laughs> Literally. It's she like,
3: actually enjoys it. What
1: have you built? Uh, what have you built, Leander? I've built replicants that can't kill people. What's she doing? <laughs> well, what yeah, is she doing right, I, right now? I think you've
3: told her to do David it. David Dashmalian
1: be. is coughing up blood and has no neck.
4: <laughs> Don't you presume, though, that because she's... Neander's assassin yeah. that he's he's built that into her.
1: I know, it's just weird because there aren't that many Nexus Nines in the movie, so we don't see a lot of evidence of Nexus Nines yeah, not killing people. It's, it's does, like it there's makes, two, there's yeah. Kay and her, and one of them is killing a lot of people. It makes mm.
3: Robin Wright, Lieutenant Joshi. Yoshi looks stupid later because he's like, Kay says it's done. And she's like, Yeah, cool. So, okay, well, you just believe him. I need to see other ones telling the truth so that you would just believe him without checking anything. I agree.
1: So Uh, Kay kills Sapper, and Sapper's last words are like, You've never seen a miracle. (laughs) And you're like, Ooh, what's that about? That's good, yeah. Mm. Miracle, you say. Mm, Yeah, (laughs) not a miracle, though, is it? Science. Tyrell did it, but let's get on to that. Uh, So, uh, we get our first uh, shot of New Los Angeles 2049. It's not a the old one, is it? I like the seawall.
3: I think, do you not feel that so much of it holds back because you don't want to supersede the original it's out of respect it's like honouring the vision rather than going I can do it better
1: do you know think yeah
3: that's an interesting one I, I mean, also think as well you want to honour the original because it's so important to so many people but also it, it rightfully has its place and you don't want to be seen to sort of like you know just hacking its pieces and trying to do better Without the vision of Philip K. Dick underneath the story, you're losing some of those like technological innovations. So it look, it, it but, but then that is right and fair for a sequel because it looks like the world of Blade Runner plus 30 years, or whatever. So it, I, I felt sometimes it was missing, like the fun thing with like the you know Zora's hairdryer or the video calling or whatever. Mm-hmm. You don't get that same jolt. Joy is new; she's a new thing. Yeah, but she feels like something that you it didn't feel that in the future for me the way that Joy was and what she could do and stuff like that so you didn't get that same thrill
1: you'll you'll be joined by Ridley Scott in that opinion Ridley oh, Scott really? when he first saw the device on the ceiling that goes <laughs> that moves her around yeah. before she gets her emanator yeah. uh, he saw that and he was like I do not like that it no. would have, it, it, uh, science would have advanced further than that and they are like don't worry Ridley much- we've got an emanator coming he's like Fucking better do
3: <laughs> that thing on the ceiling. It makes his it looks like a conference center. Mm. It's shit. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> It does look like an overhead projector. Yeah. <laughs> Is it going to do a presentation? Yeah, what's a load of shit? Uh, oh, so K does his test. Uh, it's a little bit different to the VoIP conf test that we talked about on Monday because uh, that was to test if a replicant was not exhibiting the correct human emotions. This makes sure he isn't emitting. Um, Making any emotional responses because it's about the speed of his answers. If he's got emotional, that's bad news.
3: Yeah. I love the test. I think because it's so weird. Yeah. And also, I have to say, you've just explained it like that, but you, you have to find your way to that interpretation. Oh, yeah. At first, you're just like, what the fuck is going on? And they're like, you're you're, oh, well done, Kate. They, they're really complimentary to him. And then later, constant the, K. Constant K, that's it. And then later, when someone, the voice says to him, you're way off, you're not even close to baseline, you're like, really? Because <laughs> like, it seems the same. Mm. But that's good. It's discombobulating. You're like, I, didn't, I couldn't tell the difference.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm sort of, again, I might have missed something, but I don't think I did in all the bloody research I've done. Like so, Kay can't can't have emotions. If he has emotions, then he's he's bad. He's not a good Nexus Nine.
3: I know, but that seems like a retrogressive step because they do have the older models do have emotions.
1: And also, putting all these memories in their head was surely to make them have.
3: She, someone says emotions. The Memory Maker says it's to make. What's well, to make you less of a threat to humans because you're more convincing or something? Yeah.
1: It's I I'll say it now. This movie like deposits a lot of ideas. And a lot of them, I'm afraid to say, I think are half baked. Like there's a lot of themes in this movie that just don't really add up. Once you start picking at that scab, Ooh. so let's meet Joy, uh, our evolution of Alexa, an AI who Kay has a relationship with. So must it have some emotions to like that he attaches to her? <clears throat>
3: well, I went on a bit of a thing about this. Good. So I find Joy deeply irritating. Mm. Because she's just an angel. She never argues with him. She doesn't contradict him. She thinks he's perfect. She tells him everything he wants to hear. And I was like, oh, God, that's so boring. Why would you use a female character to do all that? Sounds
1: amazing.
3: Whatever. 10 out of
1: 10. 10 out of 10. Top shelf it.
3: <laughs> do, uh, do you give her marks? <laughs> oh, dear. What I mean is, because Kay is a replicant, maybe that's what he thinks a relationship is he thinks that what, what mm. love is is unquestioning rather mm. than the sort of ups and downs of what a real relationship is so joy I can't bear but joy makes sense because a replicant that can't emote would imagine that a relationship is the way that yeah, she is I, I
4: thought it was fascinating that scene the life of a replicant at home Yeah, it felt like this could be a sitcom but he mm. was
3: having a drink as well like, why does he need to drink alcohol it is alcohol because Robin Wright drinks it later so it's oh, yeah. definitely booze but I think I think this is I, I, I think
1: Replicants can get drunk. Like they—they they are human enough. They're not. We have to remember they are replicants. Yeah, so we keep saying robots. They're not yeah, robots. Yeah, yeah no, sorry. They're not. So you—if if, uh, that's why they can drown. Um, I'll, we'll talk about that later. But that is why they can drown because they are human. That is why if they drink enough alcohol, they will get drunk because okay. they have the same organs. They're just not human. Okay. So that is uh, interesting on the joy front, though. Um, there's a a, a theory regarding when love. Neander's assistant, mm-hmm. steps on the emanator, killing joy. Yeah. So love kills joy. Yes. In that sequence, which is all about, not the fact that love destroys joy. It does. But... <laughs> <laughs> or is that marriage? One of the two. <laughs> it's because if someone like Kay is attracted to some kind of false joy, a true realisation of love will shatter it. Right.
3: Yes. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense, yep.
1: Okay, we haven't even gotten to the Bible stuff yet. So, let's take a quick break because I need to dab my armpits.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you.
4: Mm. horrible <laughs> <laughs> <of a> <laughs> image it wasn't it was the noise I knew you had to break the tension somehow
3: but could you not <laughs> uh,
1: right then so uh, we've met Joy. Uh, Kay, like, is in some kind of relationship with her. You think it's an original idea when he gets to this emanator, but really it is the hard light drive from Red Dwarf. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's like, I
3: wasn't like, wow, look yeah. at that. I was like, oh, what, Red under- Dwarf? She can go, what, two feet outside <laughs> yeah. for a bit get rained on? Yeah,
1: Rimmer had that. Red Dwarf, very funny <laughs>
4: series. You should check it out, did But also, isn't it a glimpse into where uh, sex work or pornography is going or might already be there?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it is already there. I think this is what we were talking about on Monday. There yeah.
4: are dolls that go, yes, please. I'd love that. Thank you, big guy. Or whatever. I don't so know. So I believe. Because <laughs> it's not a good presentation of women in this film all over the place, really. But is it just holding up a mirror to where our world is at and where it's going?
3: Oh, I hope not, Chris. Oh, well. Oh, that's depressing. Do you want to talk about it now,
1: the representation of women in this movie?
3: Uh, yeah. Yeah.
4: Are you going to hide behind a quote of a woman?
1: Yeah, I'm going to hide... Good work.
3: (laughs) But what do you... Are you you
1: kidding me? I'm hiding behind three different quotes
3: uh, from three
1: different women. I am an ally. Mm. Watch me read. Uh, No, Denis Villeneuve. Let's start with Denis Villeneuve uh, before I I show just how much I am an ally. Uh, Denis Villeneuve says... uh, uh,
3: Are you starting with a man, just to be uh, clear?
1: The most important person. Right,
3: okay. He is the boss, I'm sorry. He (laughs) directed
1: the film. Uh, That's why. Not because he's more important because of his penis. Um, <laughs> no, he's not. I just had to think. Uh, so Blade Runner is not about tomorrow. This is responding to criticism about the portrayal of women in the movie. He says, Blade Runner is not about tomorrow. It's about today. And I'm sorry, but the world is not kind on women.
3: Yeah, I know. Is <laughs> he just it? What a fucking medal! This is him defending it because
1: some people levelled uh, yeah. the idea that the portrayal of women, for example, Charlotte Gush in Vice said... <laughs> The women were either uh, prostitutes, uh, <laughs> holographic housewives, or victims dying brutal deaths. Mm-hmm. Uh, she acknowledges that misogyny was part of the dystopia in Scott's 1982 original, but the sequel is eye gougingly sexist. Sure,
4: <laughs> uh, these quotes are all
1: available on Wikipedia.
3: <laughs> <laughs> is that even as far as you went?
1: <laughs> I read
4: that section you're, too. You're
3: disgusting.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to do the other two if I ticked that box. I
2: do.
3: Don't <laughs> <laughs>
1: Have we covered it? Do you have anything to add?
3: I'm doing this for you. I've got my own thoughts. <laughs> yeah, do them. Oh, they're part of the change. Great, let's do them change. then. then. <laughs> I think. I've, no, I've got a lot, don't oh, we?
1: Do you like the fact that Peter and the wolf go... Burr, 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 <laughs> comes in whenever Joy turns up. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah, it? it's because, and I did a little bit of reading around this, uh, uh, Prokofiev, uh, Prokofiev. Prokofiev.
3: Prokofiev. Yeah, I was going to get there. Was... I'm sorry, I didn't know that. Prokofiev. Did they not have the phonetics on Wikipedia?
1: This <laughs> is This is good. This came from a different website. Um, <laughs> uh, he, uh, the theme of Peter and the Wolf is uh, is one of subversion. Uh, that a person, even a child, can subvert the regime and challenge the accepted rules, suggesting that Kay, that being his theme, mm. is going to change the system. It's not
3: what people think of when they think of Peter and nah. the Wolf. Though. They think of that's
1: reaching. What <laughs> yeah. do you think of when you think of Peter and the Wolf?
3: The boy who cried wolf. Is that what it is? Yeah. I don't think they're two separate things. Really?
1: Yes. I don't think Peter and the Wolf is the boy who cried wolf.
3: I think it is. I think it's an operatic version of that. Really? Not operatic. Balletic. No. Okay, I don't know.
4: Chris? I was just looking it up, but Peter Andre came
1: up. Peter <laughs> and the wolf. Well, that's your search history. <laughs> right then. Uh, so let's talk about the fact that a replicant gave birth. Yes. So, the bones that Kay finds under the tree in Sapper's Yard are of a woman who's given birth, but look... Look, the serial number, it's a replicant. This could break everything, says Madam or Lieutenant <laughs> Yoshi. It never gets called that, I don't think, in the movie. I know,
3: I had to read that. Yeah, yeah she's just called Madam by hey, <laughs> yeah. Madam.
1: Yeah. Uh, so she's like, get on top of this, because fucking hell, mate, if this gets out, we've got a war on our hands. I
3: do, I both love and hate the dialogue. She's like, Kay, you don't realise this breaks the world. Yeah. Hate it Hated because that. it's so dramatic and silly. But it's all Like words. it because mm. it's dramatic and silly. But really from just from the, you know, the film in front of you, if it's that serious, do you wanna put more than one dude on the case? Because you've just got one replicant. I know she's trying to keep it secret. But she's the boss. So Mm. maybe two people? Yeah. I guess
1: so. I yeah. don't know how many replicants are actually working there. I don't really understand Kay's relationship because he gets called a skin job, so he's hated by the other humans. Yeah. But there's a bit later on when he fails, you mentioned it, the uh, test that he does, he's way off his baseline, mm. and she's like, I can I can help you get out of the police station alive. Yeah. You're like,
3: what do you mean, help me get out of here alive? Yeah, I, I wondered that. What's out
1: there? What have you told people? Yeah. A lot. That's why I assumed
3: it was when a replicant is off baseline, it's like you will be exterminated because you could kill all the humans.
1: So because the person <laughs> taking the test is probably gossiping about it in the cafeteria at that yeah, point, everyone's like going to know. Mm. Okay, so go kill this thing, get rid of everything, erase everything is Madam's idea. Good idea. Except Kay has never retired anything <laughs> with a soul. So a lot of this movie hinges on this idea about ca- a character being born not made, Mm. which is all from Christian theology about how Jesus was begotten, not made, in the sense that he was born, he was the salvation for the Christian people. So what it's kind of saying is this child, whoever this child is, is basically (coughs) the Jesus character for the replicants. I see. He's the replicant Jesus. I missed all of that. Mm. Okay. So shall we head to Wallace Industries? Yes. Yes. Okay. Wallace Industries bought Tyrell after it went bust after the prohibition law. I
3: hate it, sorry, that title card at the beginning. It's just a bit of corporate history and it's like, who cares about that? Yeah, I mean, again, these
1: short films do go into it a lot and it's quite good fun because Wallace acquired the remnants of a bankrupt Tyrell Corporation in 2028. In 2036, he convinced the government to undo the prohibition law on replicants, allowing him to then make some more. (laughs) I got really into it, but yeah, said cold, it is quite boring. Nevertheless, um, he has bought Tyrell and the reason I like this is because when you're flying towards the Tyrell building a little look at the first movie boom Wallace Industries is twice three times the size behind it and you're like I like that comparison classic (laughs) Neander Mm. and uh, we get a lot of um, exposition uh, here um, about the blackout you interested in the blackout?
3: I thought the blackout I haven't seen the shorts but I thought it was so fun it's like it's just such a good way to do all that exposition. We're walking through the scenes, so we're not completely static even though it's a bit of an exposition dump. And I liked it as an idea. I think it's fun.
4: I feel like it's a bit underexplained though. Yeah. Um, uh, and I switched off a bit when you were describing it from the short <laughs> film, so I don't—I still don't actually know who did it or why.
1: But um, it explains why Vegas is radiated. They look, brought blew a missile up over Vegas, and then when people were distracted with that, they drove a truck uh, full of explosives into Tyrell Corp and blew up the servers. Because what was happening, what had happened in the intermediate time between—this is why it's quite interesting. It does go deep, but in the intermediate time between Blade Runner and Blade Runner twenty forty nine, uh, replicants had been like outlawed in the end because they were basically, you know. People found out that they could kill people. And so it's mob rule on Earth. Mobs were going round killing replicants willy-nilly, hanging them, destroying them, uh, even replicants that hadn't done any bad. So uh, that's when they were prohibited to stop all the murders. Did,
4: did, I I just thought Neander Wallace had done the blackout so that he could come to power. That's not how it's told in the short Fair film. Fair enough. Um, but again, that's not in the movie, so you could be right. Exactly. Uh, you know, Alex, you and I have both interviewed uh, Jared Leto. Um how he talks as Neander Wallace is kind of how he talks in real life these days yeah it's Jared Leto
1: playing Jared Leto playing God
3: I was disappointed when I saw him in it because I just want someone else like I actually don't mind Jared Leto's thing that he's got going on I don't even hate him as the Joker I don't no, it feels
4: very, he feels very Johnny Depp these days yeah where it's it's all just it's just so over the top and yeah. they originally wanted David Bowie wow mm. um obviously he passed away before they, they shot the film but that would have been great and um I mean, you know, he wore these contact lenses. Do you know about this?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the interesting thing because obviously he wears these contact lenses, these opaque custom contact lenses. So he's basically blind on set and has to be guided around by his assistant. Now, you hear this and I hear this, and it's sort of like, oh, really? This is like the condoms, sending used condoms to his castmates in Suicide Squad, all that kind of weirdness. And you're like, is it necessary? Is it necessary? <laughs> But one person who did love it, Denis Villeneuve. He recalled his first day shooting with the actor. He entered the room and he could not see at all. He was walking with an assistant very slowly. It was like seeing Jesus walking into a temple. Everybody became super silent and there was a kind of scared moment, sacred moment. Everyone was in awe. It was so beautiful and powerful, I was moved to tears. Okay. That's the kind of director you want, if you're an actor.
3: Yeah, that's true. You know the way you just
1: walked in? I am crying. Yeah,
3: You can't see it, but I'm crying, and you remind me of Jesus, rather than Ridley Scott screaming at you to stop (laughs) fucking around.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, his whole thing, I mean, this is the whole God speech, isn't it? He basically is like, I'm building angels. It's very overt here, whereas in the first one, it's like, you know, The idea that Roy Batty was Lucifer for the fallen angel. Yeah. Here, he's basically going, there are bad angels, there are good angels. I want to storm Eden. I'm God.
3: But it's so obvious. Yeah. It's like, of course you're God. Like, what else would you be? Like, where can we go thematically that reaches beyond that? That would be the challenge.
1: Yeah, but he can't make enough. So, question. Uh, He obviously kills by slicing open the sort of lower abdomen. Yeah, what a waste of resource. What a waste of resource. Is it because she can't? Procreate. Yes. That's what I've got.
3: But he's doing it to make... Well, that's what I thought as well. He's just... It's a big exposition, don't we? He's like, look, they can't have babies. So here's a her womb where it should be. It's barren. And slices are open. Why did you, you... Why go to the trouble?
1: I assumed that she was hit the latest attempt of him oh, without the tech from Tyrell that he's been looking for to have them... Reproduce. He was trying it himself and she, like him, examining her with all the drones, was him going, fuck, it's failed again.
3: Slice you open. So you just can't get those ovaries in there.
1: Yeah. There's a great quote about how he um, basically he's enraged by women because he can't, uh, because they can do something he can't. Yeah. Which is why he's creating this. uh, He wants to be able to go, I'm allowing you to reproduce because it raises him up.
3: There's a whole street, we just talked about this before, of like feminists thought about why. Men are so angry about not being able to do this thing that's so important, uh, the act of creation. And so you get these fantastic works of art because it's the way to channel that energy. That's what I'm being nice about that. Mm. And then the other side of it is the fury.
1: Well, let's talk about uh, some of the other women in this film. Uh, They are sex workers in a sex worker square, which is the (laughs) only time the film, I think, sort of tries to tie into... The original movie, yeah. you know, when you can sort of put a scene um, from one film next to another, Blade Runner next to this, and it's like this is a scene where he's on the ground eating rice, yeah. uh, like, and it just does not look as good. Like, do you think as the original? No, and also, uh, you know, uh, putting opaque glass in a brothel window is stupid. Um, <laughs> I mean, Why? if I want, if I, if, oh, because you want to see it? If I'm no, but it, like, I don't want to see it. I think if I want to go in a brothel, yeah. I'll probably just go in yeah. and use it. Yeah. And if I don't, I certainly don't want to watch people pressed up against glass sort of having <laughs> sex. Have you never been to Amsterdam? It's working fine there. <laughs> <laughs> I have. I once went to a sex show in Amsterdam and it was the most unerotic experience I've had in my adult life. It's very strange. Uh, you just sure. sort of go, oh, this is awful, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I went with my, uh, my old MTV producer, uh, uh, Rob Lewis, and he was like, I'm not liking this very much, Alex, Welsh guy, (laughs) just in case you didn't know. Uh, (laughs) I think we should probably go. And I'm like, it might get better. What will change? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing changed. I just sort of, you know, when you're sort of trying to work out... Did you think there'd be more of a story? I wondered why people went to them at all. You're like, why do these exist? Like, who finds this sexy? Because I'd I'd argue that I find the same thing sexy as the next man. And yet there were men in there going, bloody great, this isn't it? But why? It looks, maybe it's because they exercise and I don't exercise. It was so vigorous, the lovemaking. I was like, bloody hell, I'm knackered.
3: Yeah, it just felt inadequate. Mm. That's not what you pay for, is it? No. Uh,
4: So, Yeah. Um, it continues That's this scene continues the emir- environmental theme from the first movie though doesn't it or the book it, with Mariette saying um, she's never seen a tree mm-hmm. it's like Leon saying he's never seen a turtle or a tortoise true
2: yeah
1: did you like the name Mariette you're a fan of names what because she's a puppet mm. ugh Wow. I thought you'd go for that. No,
3: I do like it. I don't like a. character. You, don't
1: you like a character called Mr. Kill or
4: something who kills people? <laughs> yeah.
3: A Mariette marionette, puppet? No. Yeah, no, no, no. I, my reaction was about her as a character. The name, yes. That is okay. good, obviously.
4: You missed sexual predator Van Horn last week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, He's laughing a bit too much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, back, I'm a bit uncomfortable. Good stuff. Good stuff. Solid. So that's top shelf work. Uh, right, so... So, uh, Kay discovers there's a boy and a girl, one of whom a replicant baby, uh, one of one of whom is replicant Jesus, and one is just disinformation. <laughs> uh, so he's, he's, he's looking for this person. He goes out to the Badlands. Great seeing this. I like the electric kite stuff. It feels like there's a whole movie here that yeah. could be made set in the Badlands, and we're just getting a taste of it right yeah, now. Yeah, it's a bit Mad Max, mm, yeah. isn't it? Yeah.
4: And, it feels uh, <laughs> extraneous, if I'm honest. <laughs> yep, agree. It's there to tell us that, um, oh God, love is... Is helping, helping him on his mission. Yeah. yeah, death from
1: above. Cool. What do you do when you get your nails done? I <laughs> launch
3: missiles.
1: Uh, it's good. It's nice. So, but Bloody. she's got
3: emotions because she's getting her nails done because it's vanity and pride and oh. pleasure. So, isn't that not an emotion? Like, also when Kay says he can't, he's like, "Oh, never killed anything that was born before." Isn't that hesitancy? Is hesitancy part of an emotional response? Yeah. So, I don't get it. I
1: don't either. It's um, uh, again like a lot of this film, a bit cloudy, <laughs> bit cloudy. Where the, the first film was ambiguous in a fun way, this is ambiguous in an ill-thought-through way. If you want my honest opinion. Uh, so we meet who is going to eventually turn out to be the chosen one, replicant Jesus, Doctor Stellen, Doctor Stellen, who makes memories. She's got something called Galatian syndrome, which is a reference to a book in the Bible, Galatians. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, all of this uh, information just tips Kay over the edge. So mm. he fails his test, runs off home and has a robo threesome. <laughs> yeah, he <we> does. <don't. laughs> Goes on way too long, this.
3: It really does. It's, it's so, so boring. So boring. And I really wanted the, the... Oh, she's not Pris. What's she called? Mariette and Joy to talk to each other. They're both creation... You know, they're both machi- Not machines, you know what Is I mean. she a replicant, then Mariette? Yes. Right. She says so, doesn't she? I don't know if she does, but I'm assuming that because she's part of the replicant resistance
1: fight. Yeah, Yeah. we know that. We know that later on, but Mm. earlier. Uh, yes. yeah it, it said matter.
3: earlier yeah. so they can merge and I just thought wouldn't it be fun that you've got now in this film what's so good about it is you've got the substrata of before you had humans versus replicants and now you've got replicants and projections and, or whatever Joy is so you've got this pecking order and it would. And Mariette does do a bit of it later which yes, she's quite is quite rude to I've Joy I've been
1: inside there's not a lot there love
3: yeah but it would be fun when they were merging to, not to turn into a comedy but they could talk to each other a little bit before they just and also how is Joy paying for it she's a sex, Mariette's a sex worker she will expect to be paid for her work mm. Is Joy making Kay pay for his own sex treat?
1: I don't know, but I, I think the scene is worthwhile purely for the awkward morning after when you've had a threesome with your living <laughs> girlfriend. And he's like, yeah, he's literally, he's skulking in the kitchen till Mariette leaves. And then he's like, do you want coffee or something? Please laugh, because otherwise this is going to be awkward it's all
4: day. make me cry. Also, though, it's the payoff for the scene we never got to see in Ghost.
3: <laughs> yeah, Where that's true. Where a woman true. gets into
4: another woman yeah. to, to, you know, Do have it. a dance with yeah. my mate with yeah. a with <laughs> a partner. We at
1: least at least we get to see it here. Oh, shall we go to Vegas? Let's go to Vegas. Yeah. he's back. Deckard's back. Uh, but before we even meet Deckard, bloody hell, has he been drinking a lot? Did you see the bottles on that bar? Yeah. Man loves a whiskey. He says he's got millions of bottles. He does. <laughs> that's a lot <little> of whiskey. <laughs> I know. I I I will he's, admit. I'm very jealous of Descartes' lifestyle here. He's got yeah, solitude. Yeah. He's got like music, got video dog. games, dogs? casino Elvis. Dogs. Elvis is there. Elvis. Yeah.
4: Um for a man who's in his mid seventies, who's been drinking for the past thirty years, he looks <laughs> remarkably well.
3: Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. So he comes out, <coughs> you don't happen to have any cheese on you, do you? Why? Treasure Island, why? That's in the deleted scene I banged on about on Monday. Like, Holden is reading Treasure Island. But unless you've seen that scene which isn't in any of the versions of Blade Runner... Mm. But we've seen his
4: big library, although I didn't know it was a quote from Treasure Island Neither until you said I, it. No. no, but if it was a more famous quote, then I think I, w- I would have just... Like, this is all he's doing. Yeah. I-, I just feel like this scene, it's a relief to finally have a human in the film. Yeah. You know, it, it, it just a, a, a seemingly he's seeming quite normal here in comparison to everything else that we've 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 experienced watching this film.
3: Do you not think Robin Wright's character is a bit? She, there's a scene just prior to this where she goes around to Kay's house yeah. apartment to see him, and they're drinking, and she says to him w- uh, about the bottle. What happens if I finish that? Which I took to mean, do you fancy a chef? Yes, it, it is that, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. So I thought that was brilliant because it's like there's a she's just they've just gender flipped jaded detective. Um, I don't remember that
1: scene. Yeah, yeah, they go,
3: they're talking and she's...
1: She makes him tell her the memory of the horse. So that's how we get the first met uh, horse memory. Right, she goes, okay. what, what if I told you it was an order she's... and you realise that he didn't want to and then he has to because she actually yeah. ordered him to so he has to obey. And okay, she's getting fine. kind of
3: settled and yep. she says, what happens if I finish that? And he kind of kicks her out because he doesn't mm-hmm. want to have sex with her. That's okay. what I thought that was.
1: Yeah. Yep, true doubt. Uh, but with regard to the Treasure Island thing, it's a Ben Gunn quote because he was the one who was marooned on the island. And so Harrison Ford's been marooned in Vegas. Yeah. And so that's why. (laughs) There's no more to it than that, really. You sort of want there to be, but there isn't. There really isn't. So... Are we decided on whether Harrison Ford, Deckard is a replicant anymore now in this movie than we were previously? Uh, what? What's the question? Is Deckard a replicant? Does this movie give us any more clues? I don't think it does. No,
3: it doesn't. I don't think it but does. I think from, it's
1: very careful to not yeah, do that.
4: Yeah.
3: But but he is, he is alive, and you've got this thing from the other movie that he should have been dead after four years, shouldn't he? So, in less season, on the go. Yeah. A Nexus 8. They hadn't been invented in Blade Runner. But we don't know that
1: because Tyrell dies in Blade Runner. Yes. And yet, after Blade Runner, in the subsequent 20 years, uh, 30 years, they've invented three more lines of Nexus, which means that he had already created the tech for but we, these But we know lives. that
4: Rachel's going to live. So uh, she does have a longer life as a oh, replicant. Yes. So yes. there's no reason why he couldn't have the same yes. uh, length of life as, as Rachel. Um, uh, th- well, my question here is, he... It were they twins, or was there only ever one child? It was only ever one child. And okay. It was a girl, and he then just duplicated yeah, great, it. Great. Um, well, he did it, actually. To be fair, it was Deckard. Yeah, Deckard he did scrambled, it. He scrambled the records and
1: covered his tracks. And I don't think we mentioned that Rachel is the bones that are discovered in Sapper's sure. uh, yard. She is the one who gave birth, so Deckard is the father. And uh, apparently on the during the filming of this, Ridley Scott and Harrison Ford did go at each other quite a lot about whether Deckard is a replicant or not. They were still doing it. Uh, Of that, Ryan Gosling says, I heard a lot about it from both of them. They both feel very strongly about it. And Villeneuve says, it was just fantastic. Two of my heroes at the same table drinking great Hungarian wine, both of them arguing about the fact that they still don't agree if Deckard's replicant or human. They are no men of small words. They are deeply passionate, both of them. He's a fucking replicant,
4: mate! (laughs) (laughs) Morons. I like Frank Sinatra in a jar. I want one of them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's good. That was cool. Do you know why that's there? No. Because of a short film? No. Because in Las Vegas? No, no, no. Uh, Let me turn once again to the production diary of Cynthia Yorkin. Yes,
3: please.
1: Uh, (laughs) Cynthia Yorkin uh, says, um, Producer Andrew Kosova wanted to get Sinatra into 2049. As a homage to my late husband, Bud, who directed Sinatra in his first film, Come Blow Your Horn. (laughs) (laughs) She says, Bud used to tell a story of how Sinatra told him they would work well together as long as Bud understood that they would need to stop filming every day at (laughs) 5pm for
3: cocktails. (laughs) Quite right. As long as Bud understood, we'd do it my (laughs) way.
1: Bud agreed. And they remained friends for a very long
3: time. I
4: mean, he really did do it his way. (laughs) He
1: did. (laughs) Uh, So here's my problem with this scene, Uh, because obviously uh, Love has tracked Kay down. She's attacking him. Uh, There's an explosion. Kay, Deckard and the dog are thrown across the room. None of them are moving. Now, this isn't just me being my, like, love animals, I hope the animal's okay. I genuinely think you can never underestimate an audience's concern when a lovely animal that has been friendly, if it survives or not. Mm. And this film totally ruins Joy's exit. Arguably, Joy dying, we don't really care anyway, because it's not... I couldn't care less. No, totally underdeveloped, totally like, you know, I love you, (laughs) gone, I didn't care, didn't shed a tear. But unfortunately, they put that right in the middle of the dog being... Could be dead, mm-hmm. and then the dog reappearing. And so, any viewer who cares about dogs is watching that going, I don't really care about Joy. Is the dog okay? Yeah. And sure enough, the dog's okay. I don't think that's just me. I genuinely think it's a real thing. I think you've got to be very wary about people and their passion for whether animals survive things like explosions. Grow anyway, up. grow up. Come on. <laughs> Ooh, wow.
3: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: <laughs> now you found an ally.
3: I, I just, if I would said
1: that to you, fucking mental. I'm just shocked. I've never seen him like this. I don't know what's happened. I'm so hot. Okay, I know it's hot. I know it's hot. I'm so yeah. hot. No, grow up, dog owners. You know, babies. And stupid dogs. Not, not a real dog. <laughs> and it literally might not be a real dog. It might, it might not it's be a real they dog. They even say it might be a rep. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't know. Ask him. I can't ask him. He's a fucking dog. Shut up, Deckard. <laughs> Uh, right, then we get loads more exposition where he, t- Kay wakes up in the rebel base and they're like, hey, cool, great you're here. Um, <laughs> listen, uh, so we're all here. We've got a revolution coming in the sequel you'll never see. Great, 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 great. And uh, we need to protect her. And Kay's like,
3: Huh? what <laughs> oh I think he's really good it's so sad yeah your heart breaks for yeah. him but bear in mind I know there was a lot of flack about Ryan Gosling and his immovable face and all the rest of it but even though his face barely changes throughout the whole thing you are so heartbroken for him because mm. he has made you feel feelings for him yeah he's. I think he's brilliant I he mean hits. it's the flickerest of a tiny flicker of emotion Is I like him more now.
1: I think the bit that I didn't like was the 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 threesome bit. It really like it's not what I want my Blade Runner to be doing. Sort of having like weird sexy time with like you know a marionette woman. AI, we we discussed
4: they had the horrible thing in the first film as well. Like. Mm. Um, But no, it's and it's brilliantly defies expectation because yeah. by this point, we, we're with him on this journey. Yes. And we're happy that we want him to be this person. Yes, we we think he is at this point. Yeah. So we, we, And he's given
3: us hardly anything and we yeah. want it for him. It's so good. And the leader
1: of the Rebels doesn't pull up punches because she's like, you imagined it was you, didn't yeah. you? You did. <laughs> You did, didn't you? (laughs) You did. And he's like, "Mm, we we all wish it was us.
4: But there's care
3: care that's been chosen in the work because she says you imagined rather than you thought. So you you brought in there because he's like, oh, you probably did have little daydreams about it and and played it through rather than just something he thought. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Absolutely. And meanwhile, Deckard's being held by Neander Wallace um, who wants him to tell him where the child is so he can... Find out how to make replicants, make babies. So, babies. Ne-
4: Neander Wallace is supposed to be a genius, right? You know, he's <laughs> he's like a tech genius kind of guy. Um, the woman he's looking for is working for him as a contractor.
3: Yes,
1: he's not that bright. <laughs> mm. It's true, and also I don't think it's that bright to go. Listen, I mean, this arguably the dialogue is the worst in the entire movie in this scene because he starts by saying to Deckard. I know you like pain, Mm. so pain's not going to work on you. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the scene, he goes, you think you know pain, you don't know anything yet. (laughs) It's like, well, which is it? Mm. Like, he knows pain or he doesn't know pain.
3: Yeah, that's a good
1: point. Stupid. And also... So uh, you know, like uh, I, I understand what happened to Rachel. You know, Rachel, oh, the love of your life. Here's her skull. Are you on the side, yeah? Are you? Do you want to help me? It's her skull. I mean, I know it nicely leads into bringing her out. I think. Talk about the visual effects, which obviously it won an Oscar for. That's incredible. Yeah, it is. It is amazing. Sean Young being there in the movie. Um, and so then we get our final fight. Um, Deckard's being taken off world, but oh no, Ryan Gosling's in a real salt now because he's not the one. <laughs> and um, Trinity doesn't love him or does. We don't know. And uh, <laughs> so we have the big fight. Um, and It's yeah. funny, though, you make that
4: Matrix reference. I also feel like so much of this plot is similar to um, Children and Men, where this pregnancy is the thing that changes everything. True. And yeah. you've got two sides battling. It, it
1: tells that same story, but in a
4: slightly more interesting way. <laughs>
1: Children of Men does. Yes. Agreed. Uh, so, yeah, this is the first scene I watched the film, which is a shame because it looks quite spectacular, the seawall in this, and there's a lot of green screen in Hungary okay. in the back lot. Um, but... Uh yeah, I, I feel a bit sorry for uh, Sylvia Hoax here, who plays Love, uh, because there was a big dialogue scene with her and Harrison Ford mm. in the limo being taken off world where they have a massive conversation about replicants and human, more human than human, and Harrison Ford went, I don't like the dialogue. Oh, and so Got rid of uh, her moment. Which is fine if you're Harrison Ford, because you're Harrison Ford, but that was going to be her moment yeah. to have a bit of less ass-kicking and more chatty. Yeah. And um, And so it's reduced to him going, where are we going? Home. Uh, and that's yeah. all she gets to say. Which is handy because mm-hmm.
3: also Neander lives in this massive pyramid thing, whatever tower. And I read the cynicism saying, "You will know pain with this stuff we've got in a different place." <laughs> but like, why not here? Like, yeah, why have it's, you not got it's your bits? It's so
4: weirdly convenient. Yeah, for, for 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 the climax.
3: I liked Love's death for her. I think it's a shame she doesn't get a big speech. She gets to say, I'm the best one, which I think is
1: good. Because Neander tells her at the start, doesn't he? He goes, you're the best one. Yeah. So she's just parroting her creator's words. But
3: also pride. Oh, yeah, you're right. Pride as well. But also her death is brilliant when you've just watched Rutger Howard die because her death is really pedestrian. All she can see is this little bit of water and a face, or not just the outline of a face, and it is not a Tannhauser Gate moment. And no. That's that's brilliant. Noble. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's true. Strangled and then drowned.
3: Yeah. And you can't see... All you can see... The last thing you'll ever see is just nothing. It's just Mm. a nothingness.
1: That's true. And
4: now you understand why she can drown. You figured it out over the course of this hour, didn't you? Because
3: she likes a drink.
1: Synthetic human. No, she's a synthetic
4: human. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. Yeah, You were annoyed about that at the
1: start of this. I was a little bit, but yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. I do understand that they, they can drown because they're meant to be humans. I guess just to pick up on that point... I guess my problem is that the speech that Rutger Hauer gives at the end of Blade Runner where he's like I've seen sea beams go off the shoulder of Orion Texas blades off the shoulder of Ryan, all of that that makes you think that he is in a position like in outer space where he doesn't need a spacesuit, where he's like on worlds that don't have oxygen where he is able to see these things that we as humans could never see because we need air to breathe so I think that speech conjures up the idea that replicants don't need air and then suddenly here they are drowning left right and centre
3: yeah you could have killed her any other way right I suppose. that's good
1: so she goes um, and then Kay flies Deckard he's like it's a bit weak everyone will think you died out there so you can go see your daughter now isn't that nice um, will they surely I don't think they will anyway he takes him to see his daughter and uh, and then promptly dies on the steps or oh, has a rest definitely dies I mean I I, I,
3: I,
4: definitely, I honestly thought he was dead I didn't I, I didn't for a second think he was alive but I also thought well this is a clever way of doing it and that if you decide you do need him for the third one yeah. you can backtrack and say he was rested. but to me I think it was the music and it just felt like it felt like a death moment. Mm.
1: So yeah. no uh, no sequel though uh, sadly because it I would have loved to have seen a third movie. I wish this had done better than it did. It deserved to do well as a sequel to Blade Runner it is a very good film but I I,
4: I totally agree uh, my only issue would have been I I didn't get on with the Neander Wallace character and with Mm. him having to be such an important part of this story the way they're setting him up it would have got on my nerves
1: yeah (laughs) yeah agreed agreed but nevertheless, it wasn't to be. Although we are getting a live-action Blade Runner 2099 series right. on Amazon early stages, but apparently it's happening. They announced in February this
4: year it was all going ahead. Great, and I imagine that will be the sequel. that we And we, and we know now that TVs can do this stuff. Exactly. It, just the frustrating thing, we'll be not seeing it in a cinema because that has been so important to my experience of both these films.
1: True that. So uh, I'll give you a little bit of an overview uh, at the end here. Uh, it's from Ridley Scott when he was asked about uh, Blade Runner 2049. Uh, Why did it underperform at the box office, Ridley? Uh, it was fucking way too long. <laughs> Fuck me, and most of that script's mine. That's not a direct quote, so we don't get sued. That is a direct quote. It was fucking way too long. Fuck me, and most of that script's mine. Amazing. Uh, And uh, he continued uh, in this interview, and he said, I shouldn't talk, I'm being a bitch.
4: (laughs) Half an hour, he said. Half an hour, he wanted taken out of it. (laughs) Hell
3: yes. 100%. So, uh,
1: on that note, shall we do the bits? Yes. Right then, uh, best uh, scene, uh, Vicky.
3: I do like the crash at the orphanage and I do like the water fight, but they are actually a bit pointless. It's just like action for the sake of it. So I'm going to pick the moment when Kate is told he is not replicant Jesus. I Mm. think it's the best bit. It's a good bit. Good bit. Chris? Uh, I was struggling
4: here, actually. Um, So I'm going for the scene that made me lean forward in my chair in the cinema, and that's when Deckard appears and we get a sense of what he's been through. Because... He seems like quite a selfish person in the first film and we realise that over the course of the years in between he's changed from selfish to selfless Mm. and if you do think of him as a villain at the end of the first film which you can, I think you you could see him as a hero now especially when you realise what he sacrificed.
1: Good. Um, I, I'm a bit like you. I really, really struggle mm. to pick out a scene that it's I weird, like, isn't it? I'm sort of, sort of. I think this film is good, but it is good. But there is no one scene. Yeah. It's sort of again. It's like it's. It's a very uh, sort of not sedentary. That's not the right word. It's a. It's a. A, a very relaxing, meditative experience watching it. You're not yeah. like oh that moment. You just like you let this film. You're absorbed into this movie, which is why for best scene, I'm just picking the stuff in Vegas because. I think it's something <clears> new it did with the landscape that you can't sort of go, oh, that's a bit like Blade Runner. Oh, I see that. that no, no, no. So while as much as I love the Neander Wallace building towering over Tyrell's pyramid, I think I just prefer the orange hue of Vegas and when they're driving around to the giant statues of the uh, sexy girls. Yeah, I love those sexy girls. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what would you like to have as your most valuable whatever, the most valuable thing in this film, Chris? Um...
4: Roger Deakins, the Deakmeister. um, <laughs> he's the cinematographer on this film. <laughs> and um, as I say, this was one of my great experiences in a cinema, uh, just visually. Watching this was so overwhelming that um, I'm going to give him a shout, as well as obviously Denis Vin or Vilnev. Same on. thing.
1: Well, I'll jump in here and go, yeah, it's uh, the Deakmeister General. <laughs> And the Deakmeister General gets my vote. It looks it looks absolutely spectacular and watched on the IMAX screen. I don't think I you know it will stand up there as one of the great cinema experiences I've had watching this on the big screen. And a lot of that is just like the cinematography. So well done on your first Oscar after a stupid number of fails um, on on this movie. B uh,
3: Ryan Gosling. I know, I know, it's, I know. But the thing is, so it took, but it took me two watches to come to this because the first time I watched it I felt like everyone else was like who even are you what is this but when you when he thinks that deckard is his daddy and he's having this moment with him and he says you didn't even want to meet your child and deckard says to him if you love someone you have to be a stranger to them then he finds out it's not him and you've gutted absolutely gutted for him and then at the end he takes Rick Deckard to see his daughter, and he's he's saying, "I get what you said." I because Deckard says to him, "Why are you doing this for me? Who who am I to you?" Mm. And the answer is, "You're no one. You're a stranger. But I do love you because I had you know I'm a replicant, and I print imprinted those feelings. I thought you were my dad, so to me, you are my dad. So I do love you in that way. But I am I'm, still, I'm a stranger, and I'm going to do this thing for you because there's love there because I thought you were my dad, basically.
1: I you know, I, I get it." I think after the moment that you picked as your favourite, where it's revealed that he's not replicant Jesus, I do think everything after that, granted it's only about 10 minutes, he is the best he is in this. Like the broken, like, you know, hollow, he's lost joy who he maybe, maybe wasn't in love with. That didn't really hit me. But his stay after that, this almost zombified sort of like, you know, the sulk, the way he looks at Harrison Ford when he sort of brought him to his daughter and it's sort of like everything he was fighting for and he thought and everything like he sacrificed yeah. you know just for this moment that's
3: why I thought he didn't die because I thought it's sadder if he's lying down to have a rest and then the pain and the weight of just carrying on doing the same shit that you've always been doing knowing that you're not special mm. is sadder than a noble death
1: and he got punched in the face by Harrison Ford accidentally albeit <laughs> in the fight scene in the fun house section I think
3: Harrison Ford has got a, like a rider in his contract that says, I get to punch the young guy, <laughs> but don't tell him um, so that he feels good.
1: Right then, final. What would you change, Victoria? If you could change anything about this film, what would it be?
3: So if, you, if you've got Joy, who's an angel, you cannot have Mariette be tart with a heart. You have to do better than that. So you can't just gender flip jaded detective, and go, that's a pass. We, we're great about women because look, she's just like a man. <laughs> you can't, it's not enough. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Marriott is like, what? Well, she's like, what? A sex worker activist person? Like, there's so much going on there. So her cover
1: is a sex worker activist. Yeah, she's really, cover, she's isn't a rebel. She? Yeah.
3: Okay, but she does undertake sex work as well, so she's got to do we that. We only
1: see her undertake the one sex work job with Kay, which is to plant the bug on him. Sure, so who okay. Knows? Well,
3: I mean, yeah, but there's there's something there. If that's her first job. How does she feel about that? Like, is that okay? Is that a big deal? True. Is it not a big deal? Mm. How did she get involved in the resistance, all the rest of it? Like, you, I don't know. You can't just... You can have a trope if it's Joy, who I don't like. You can't have two and think that's all right. And I didn't know that quote from Denis Villeneuve about, well, you know, I'm sorry, but society is broken. If you're a you, you're a storyteller, you have a you have the opportunity to tell something better. And it's set in the fucking future. You can do what you want.
1: We didn't mention that Joy sequence, but it's worth touching on when he's found out that he's not the chosen one, and Joy's dead, and he's walking back, and the giant pink hologram bends yeah. down, and at the point where she says to him. You're, you, you're, you're my Joe or you, you're you a real Joe or something and uses the name that his joy gave to him yeah. is that basically saying anything joy said was utter nonsense yes. there was no love there yeah. so yeah. it's doubly depressing yeah they yeah. call every they call every guy Joe <coughs>
3: right. yeah jeez so it's it's only a little thing but it's just um, I would just develop Mariette a bit more because it just feels like a bit of a shame mm. and you've got a long time there's so much extra stuff going on here
4: Chris, for MVW uh, either Monday or today, did anyone pick Ridley Scott?
3: No. Uh, uh, yes. Scared.
1: Yeah, I picked him as part, as part of my. Oh, yeah, you, you had yeah. about
4: ten people. Okay, yeah. just checking. Um, my change is 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 I need to be rid of Neander Wallace. Um, <laughs> and I think that character should be either someone related to Tyrrell, um, like a, a son or a grandson with this dream that he's passed on, or even maybe a creation of Tyrell's that he didn't quite finish. Um, before he died, mm. someone with maybe extra intelligence. Um, it just needs to give the story some kind of emotional resonance because, as it stands, I have no sense of who Neander Wallace is, mm. Mm. and it, so it just means nothing. He's essentially the villain of this piece, mm. and he's just nothing to me. So I think it, it would. I think if it if it draw the two films closer, I think it would be more interesting.
1: Yeah. Um. I'll be really quick. I think Ridley Scott had it absolutely right. Cut fucking half an hour off. It's too long and Mm. it feels slow. Mm -hmm. There are scenes in this that you're like, this is your... If I'm thinking, get on with it, the threesome scene, get on with it. Get it over with. Come on, let's move this on. There isn't enough there to warrant its runtime. Uh, For all the different plot strands, it's just, it feels baggy. Um, So it's there and put Vangelis back in you monsters I thought
3: the Hans Zimmer stuff was good though It's like... good
1: it's not Vangelis it, like th- th- I I I think the inter interlinked uh, of um, <laughs> of Vangelis <laughs> with the original movie is is you know it's 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 up there with Star Wars It's like a yeah, score that is so important it would be like not using the Star Wars theme for like Empire Strikes and Back obviously yeah. RIP
4: Vangelis he just died but why why wasn't he on doing the score I don't know I couldn't find anything on it
1: Bizarre. Yeah. So. Got that hack Hans Zimmer in. What have I ever done? Uh, lovely, lovely work by Hans Zimmer. So, verdict time. Yeah, it's the verdict.
0: You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth!
4: Uh, I feel like I might know where this is going. Vicky, do you want to go first?
3: Sure. So I actually do, I think 2049 does function. Does, wait, what am I saying? the initial 20 minutes we've got a mystery we've got the setup of the character and we've got a locked box mystery which is always fun and the pace is brilliant and I was like this is a better film actually like it's, it's just carrying us along and then it just stops we just get all like you said it's really baggy um, the quest kind of like meanders around a little bit so I think I think the the immersiveness of eighty two then sort of cancels out the more story the better story actually in twenty forty nine. So then they're kind of like with parity there. Then I didn't like no sorry I liked more the world building in eighty two. I thought twenty forty nine didn't do as much world building, but that maybe because it was paying homage to eighty two and didn't want to supersede it or overshadow it. Um, but then equally the sort of extended fight sequences. You know, I like the, the stuff with the water. I like the fight between Harrison Ford and Ryan Gosling, but it's very long and it's pointless. We're just trying to bring two characters together to talk to each other about something that we kind of already know a little bit. Uh, so because I have no attention span and because I still love old versions of new technology, it's 1982 Blade Runner.
1: Alex? Yeah, you
3: sure you want me to go next? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Fine then. Uh, <laughs> lovely business. Uh, so I honestly thought it was going to be close this week. And a bit like UV, I thought it was going to be close about 20 minutes in to yeah. Blade Runner 2049. I was like, oh my God, this is so much better. I've just watched Blade Runner. And while I love the atmosphere and I love... The uh, the world and I will never you know forget. I was once in Kuala Lumpur, standing underneath a monorail as the rain came down at night, and there was a giant billboard, like neon billboard, like LED billboard next to me, and I was like, I'm in Blade Runner, and it, like the what the film has given me in terms of like that, I, I, you can never take away. But the plot's a bit airy fairy in Blade Runner, whereas in 2049, you feel like you've got a, a mystery a detective story. It's like, oh my god. And then, like you say, it just sort of falls away. Um, So, yeah, 100% Blade Runner, the original. It's a seminal piece of film and it's just, you know, created a vision of the future that has been very important to me and I think to a lot of other filmmakers. So we have a winner.
4: Yeah, we do have a winner. Blade Runner is our winner. Chris? Yeah, same. I mean, watching these... Back to back, they're sort of, it's, it's like a feeling. It's like less a movie. It's more, it feels like a mood you're watching. Honestly, uh, that's how I feel about them. And watching 2049 in the cinema, it felt like a good facsimile of the first Blade Runner. And I it, it had such an impact on me, those visuals. But watching it this time around, it barely kept my attention. Um, it was such a different viewing mm. second time. So, uh, uh, and I, I feel like I could watch the original over and over again.
1: So yeah, nineteen eighty two simple agreed. you could watch the original and you see something new and different or, mm. like or it gives you a different feeling every single time. I nearly said that, but i it felt like a cliche, so thank you. Yes, no worries <laughs> i I got that for you time <laughs> any time <laughs> right then. Uh, <laughs> Grow up <laughs> oh, oh, you nearly top-shelfed it as well But no, not at the end there Right then We have a winner And that winner is Blade Runner Let's look ahead to next week's pairing uh, Chris, Snow V No, who gave us the clue? I gave you the clue uh, Well, you're right We both gave a clue But Vicky
4: gave it for the wrong uh. <laughs> the wrong pairing uh, yeah. We established in the break uh, That Vicky um, was wrong And that she had received a message Saying <laughs> yes to those two films
3: <laughs> Just in oh, case sorry, I said yes Yes. Just, just in case me the you, message where I say yes. Yeah. Just in case you, you were bothered
4: about you it. You say
1: yes, I fully understand that. I'll <laughs>
4: write a clue for the correct films. Uh, the clue was uh, Slobs v. Snobs. And the films are, uh, from 1981, Stripes. And from 1984, I think, Police Academy. Uh, and both those films are available to rent pretty much everywhere.
1: I don't get slobs v. snobs, but I haven't seen Stripes or Police Academy in about 20 years. Mm. Why? Which is the slobs, the Stripes people? What? <laughs> what? No, it's sort of the, the, the
4: underclass versus say, the uppercut. I to say, this is very
3: satisfying for me as, as someone who got the clue booted out for being the wrong fan. You
1: didn't get booted <laughs> out. That makes it, that makes it, oh, we just didn't like your clue. It was for the wrong movies. Although this, granted, I, slobs v. snobs is probably not that easy either. It's what
4: the genre is called though, of, of Animal House. and uh, Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay, good. Right then, that's your clue. And then indeed, those are the movies. Stripes versus Police Academy. That's our pairing for next week. Victoria won't be here. It's just such a shame. So many boobs in Stripes. <laughs> Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll just be make back. sure you
3: print out loads of quotes from women <laughs> about how bad that is.
1: Oh, shit. Do you think I should do that?
3: <laughs> so,
1: uh, we'll be back on Monday doing Stripes, first of all. Have a great weekend. Check in with us on Twitter, at Insta- uh, Instagram on Twitter at Clashpod and Instagram. Instagram @clashbot and subscribe to us wherever you get your pods. Apple Spotify or other speech on Monday bye
2: This was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creative Network
0: When you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer